Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad that you have come along. Look, we have a great episode for you today, and I'm glad that you're checking this out with an effective pastor who I've wanted to talk to for a long time. But first, you need to know that this podcast is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we do that through a host of programs from our Wesley Institute, which is for lay people, Sunday school teachers, pastors who want to refresh their own content. And um, we have a Bible track and a theology track. It's nine months, takes you through every book of the Bible or a host of theological topics. And of course, we have our bachelor's, master's, and doctoral programs. We'd love for you to check us out. We've just added a new course of study for the Global Methodist Church, which we're one of the first institutions to be approved by the Global Methodist Church. And we have added, you might not believe me, uh, we had 300 students last spring. We added 250 students in the last four months. Uh, who are all from the Global Methodist Church. It's a real delight to serve this emerging denomination and really participating in the way they are providing theological education for their pastors. So it's a real blessing to do that. Also, this podcast is brought to you by um, WPO Development. Their CEO, Keith Waters, has done more than 250 successful capital campaigns around the country for churches, for organizations, for schools, uh, nonprofits, and he has a real great way of coming alongside people and helping them develop a plan and then actually actualizing that. So I'd love for you to check them out. I've worked with them on capital campaigns in the past, and you can find more about them at WPO Development. The link to their website is in, well, you can find in my show notes. All right. Also, I want you to know that there are several things happening from More to Story Ministries. Uh, it's really exciting time. I have a donor who has given me 25 mug more of the story mugs i didn't buy them and so he wants me to give them out to other donors uh why do i have a donor for a podcast well it helps pay for like the thing where i host this the the podcast service it also helps i have an ass assistant who helps me put some things out and occasionally i have had to pay for a kind of like kind of a, a few of the guests now my next guest is going to want to be paid every guest is going to want to be paid but anyhow <laughs> there's those type of things that come along and it's a real opportunity for me to be able to continue and the time that i put in to make this all happen so if you make a donation of 25 dollars or more on my website you can get your very own more to the story mug i kind of feel funny saying that and you can also sign up for my email list at andymillerthe3rd.com that's andymillerii.com and i'll send you a free tool called five steps to deeper teaching and preaching i have some small group resources that are available there as well one on the book of jude another one that's just coming out at, at the beginning of september on heaven five sessions i'd love for you to check those out all right. I am so glad to welcome into the podcast my new friend, Talbot Davis, who serves as pastor of Good Shepherd Church in the Charlotte area. Talbot, welcome to the podcast. Well, great to be here, Andy. Thank you for having me. I've watched you for a while. We became friends on social media, and I saw you on Twitter probably before that and see some of the things that are ha is happening through your ministry at your church and all that God's doing there. And so I'm interested for the opportunity to finally engage you. Could you just tell us a little about yourself and how you got to serve in this role at this church? Yeah, well, I, I uh, grew up in Dallas. Okay. And uh, then I went to college in New Jersey, and that's where I sort of sensed a call to ministry. And somewhere along the line in, in college, I'd heard that if, okay, if you were a Methodist, which I kind of was, <laughs> even though I wasn't raised in the church at all, okay, I became a Christian when I was 17, but uh, I, that if you're Methodist, 
and you believe in the Bible, you got to go to Asbury Seminary. Okay. And so uh, I then I said no to going into ministry. Okay. And uh, worked for a few years in the tennis business in New Jersey. And then I reheard the call all over again. And uh, that's when we packed up. My wife and I, we packed up and moved from New Jersey to Kentucky. Because, yeah. you know, the state song of New Jersey is born to run. And there's a line that says it's a death trap. It's a suicide rap. You got to get out while you're young. Okay. And so we got out while we were young and, okay. and, and landed in Asbury Seminary, uh, where I where I went for three years. And then in um, during that time, connected with the Methodists in Western North Carolina, United Methodists. Okay. Yeah. Got ordained, served the first nine years in a place called Monroe, North Carolina. Okay. And then uh, in 1999, I became the second pastor at Good Shepherd Church, which had started in 91. And uh, wow. I'm, I took over from the founding pastor, and I've been there ever since. Wow. Now, that is a long time to be serving in a United Methodist context, particularly with this itinerant system. How, how does that work? Yeah, well, it's it's 24 years now. It's like a quarter of a century. And uh, these days, if you if you do look around, whether it's in Western North Carolina or or nationwide, most churches that are that are blessed enough, favored enough to get large, a thousand yeah. people or more, the pastor's been there a long time. Okay. And and so because the the at at some level, in spite of itineracy, yes, our system learned that long pastoral tenures lead to church health yeah, and church sure. health leads to church growth. So it's interesting, of course, to make that connection, church health to church growth. And I, I appreciate you saying that because so often the emphasis is on the church growth side, right? Yeah. Like we want that. We want the, we want the success. We want to be a large church, a mega church, whatever it is. I want to be like Andy Stanley or whoever it is. Um, draw that connection out a little bit more for me. What yeah, is well, the, I I, did, I feel like those two are tightly connected. That that I would never want to focus so much on being healthy that I I don't turn outward in what we do. Yeah, sure, sure. So I mean, I always want us to get bigger, but I I also have this recognition that when you are internally healthy, with healthy relationships and 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 emotionally healthy as far as I can be, and spiritually healthy leader, then that sort of bleeds out into the rest of the system. Yeah. And and so we we just have been uh, uh, the even the the people around me on the kind of the the leadership team of the staff we all have been in here double digit years wow so there's a lot of blessings to continuity yeah you know I was in a class um, you might know, know the professor Ron Crandall um, yeah. yeah and I had uh, I remember it, it was a it was attractive to me because I I don't know at the time when I was serving the Salvation Army the size of most congregations. But my guess is at the time, this is early 2000s, probably like the average Salvation Army congregation was somewhere between 30 and 50. That's what I, I would guess across the country, 1,200 churches. So yeah. uh, he had a class on small church um, evangelism. Hmm. And he, the first half of the class for several months, we were just talking about the beauty and the wonder of small churches. And like, I was all sold. I'm like, yeah, well, in this case, the Salvation Army, we're, we're in great shape because we got so many of them. Um, yeah. And I remember this moment where he he kind of pivoted. I think he probably was playing a bit of a game with us. And he said, but a small church 
if it's effective in the mission, won't stay a small church. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and, and we're not, we're not trying to say like, that's the goal to get to be, achieve a certain number, but it has to be outward facing, which ne necessitates growth. Yeah. So that's kind of what you found here. Like, is like, okay, we have to be both these things. We have to be a healthy church and an outward focused church. I love yeah, that. Yeah, you can't, uh, you, the, the old cliche, uh, you can't be a mile wide and an inch deep. And so we've always, we've always thought that the, the deeper the teaching, kind of the more applicable it is to everybody. And, yeah. and so uh, I, I, we, we don't really follow models of like seeker sensitive. Those are so nineties anyway, <laughs> we just, we, we do want to be healthy and alive. Gotcha. So when you've um, moved through this process, you guys have like, you're, you're at a large church. You've been able to serve there for a while. Um, one of the things I, I want to get to like what's happening and happening in Methodism as a whole, yeah. but you've written several books and they're interesting to me. They, they, you this come alive series. And I love for people to check these out. And I'm thinking particularly of people training for ministry to like, like, I, like I teach a preaching class right now. I'd love for people to take a look at this book to see kind of a model of what ministry look like looks like, but also how to go about interpreting a passage, how to think of an audience, and then also what can be used from that con that content you develop in other venues. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. So there, there are uh, currently six come alive volumes. Okay, and um. They're published by Invite Press out of Plano. Okay, yeah. And the the cool thing, Andy, whether it's the Come Alive books or the earlier books with Abingdon Press, yeah, I uh, I never set out to write a book. the The hmm. Come Alive's started out as uh, emails to the guys in my men's life group. Okay, because I sort of got tired of saying to people read the Bible, will you? Just, you know, I wanted to take them by the shoulders and read the Bible. And and I realized instead of shaming people into reading the Bible, I could come alongside them and help them read the Bible. Mm. And so I started out with an email to 14 guys. Wow. Guys, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark in the next two weeks, and I'm going to help you every morning with what we're reading. Well, that email list just sort of grew and more people got interested. And then I, I'd mentioned it on a, a Sunday or two and then COVID happened and I started putting the emails, writing emails and then putting it on Facebook and connecting to it on Twitter. And then it really grew and then COVID kept happening and I kept mentioning on Sundays. And now that email list that started at 14 people has 2,125 people. Wow. And uh, it used to be called Word Before the World because the concept was open the word before you encounter the world. Okay. Everybody begins their days on their devices and all that does is, is get you anxious and stressed. Yes. And so I was like, start the day in the word and I'll help you go through the word. Well, as it kept growing and mushrooming on, on Facebook and beyond, the, honestly, what happened is that the people in Plano at Invite Resources, they said, we really like this. I'd like to turn them into books. Wow. And I was like, I was not trying to write books. I was just trying to help people in the church and beyond come to love the Bible so that they could adore the Savior. That's that's, yes. the, that's the purpose of it all. We want people to love the scripture so they can adore the Savior. 
I love and, it. And just through a kind of an interesting process, Invite has assembled all these daily prompts into books on, there's a book on Matthew and Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and now in September, it's Ruth, one book on, on Ruth, Esther, and Jonah. Interesting. Now, and, looking at the, and I've seen a couple of these books, and just looking at each of the days, like they're split up into days, like about 25. Um, yes. Yeah, okay. Making sure I have that right. The, the two I saw had 25 days. So I'm not yeah. going to assume they all do. But this is interesting. Is it, It's not like, now you, I appreciate the humility, Talbot. Like, I truly, I do. And like, but it's not like it's a small task to write an email walking people through a passage of scripture. I mean, the, the, you've studied, obviously, you've developed some sort of plot line, you have a goal, you kind of have a theme line. I mean, there's significant, tell tell me about the process that you go through to even yeah. prepare these emails. Honestly, I, I, I wish it wasn't so personal, but the, the process was four or five years ago, I stopped taking the morning newspaper. Okay. I didn't need to know what murders had happened in Charlotte or where the traffic was bad. I needed to start my day in the word, honestly. And, and when I made that shift and I processed my thoughts by writing them. And, and so every morning, I mean, I'm up early Yeah. every morning reading and processing those thoughts verbally, uh, praying before I, I process the thoughts and then hitting send. And yeah, I have a lifetime, an adult lifetime of studying scripture, learned a marvelous Bible study method at Asbury called methodical Bible study. Yeah, sure. And what we so use I here apply, at Wesley as well. Yeah, yeah. Great. So I apply all those, all the literary ways of, of reading the scripture. And uh, Andy, here's, here's kind of the sweet spot at which we've landed. It is much heavier than a daily devotion. Yes. Like, I first wanted to say these are devotionals for people who hate devotionals because I hate oh, devotionals. <laughs> but it's so it's heavier than a devotional, but it's it's lighter than a commentary. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a it's a hybrid. It's a commendotional. <laughs> we, we we invented a whole new genre. And <laughs> there you um, go. So yeah. Uh, and and it and and people seem to resonate with that. You know, I don't I don't like that fluffy little devotional yeah. material and i'm but i'm not i didn't go to seminary i'm not ready for for a, a commentary and it does it seems to have hit a niche now do you have in mind that people will take these books and you have a, a passage of scripture they read the passage and then they read your thoughts on them is that the idea yes yeah uh, on the on the email portion of course the scripture is hyperlinked okay and in the in the book book it's not hyperlinked and we don't include the scripture, but yeah, it's a, it, it, and, and we do, we don't speed read. It's a short morsel each day. Cause we want people savoring over a, a really good nugget in that day. It was 90 days through Matthew. That's the longest book. Okay. The others are more, uh, and 45 days through Proverbs. The others have been more the 25 to 30 day range. Tell me a little bit. And I think people, particularly somebody who's preaching before yeah. a larger congregation, there's a different type of demand. Tell me about your preaching preparation in general. I imagine it's similar to the way that you, you know, process these devotions each day. Oh, what a common devotions, whatever you call them. Yeah. 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 Don't call them devotions. Common devotionals. 
Um, well, th there is an earlier book, Andy, and that one from Abingdon called yeah. Simplify the Message, Multiply the Impact. Okay, interesting. That came out in 2020, and uh, which is not a good year to release a book. And, <laughs> and February of 2020 is a worse month to release a book. But that's when Abingdon released that. We didn't know pandemic was coming, of course. Right, obviously, but yeah. that's when that came out. And it really spells out my preaching process. Okay. Uh, uh, but um, so I, I work on messages way ahead, like gotcha. a couple months ahead. Okay. And I, I I chart out my series well in advance. And I, I, I tend to alternate series between uh, what I would call vertical series and horizontal series. Okay. So like a, a horizontal series is uh, dealing with difficult people. Okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Relational. Some people would call it generically topical, but I like I like this. I don't like that distinction. I don't and I think a, topical, a horizontal biblical. series yeah. had come just before it. That was the he is series, which was four weeks of the I am sayings. Okay. So uh, a little more intentional on, on a small section of scripture and definitely on people's relationship with God followed that and that built up to Easter Sunday followed that with dealing with difficult people okay which hopped around scripture a little bit okay and Interesting. That's I did not know you had written a book on preaching and so forgive me for I, I I'll have to tell people to go out and get that um I only knew about these other books you had so I didn't know about the Abington ones I didn't know you had a book on uh on preaching well, so I'm glad apparently I apparently I didn't write a book on self-promotion <laughs> <laughs> There, there were uh, uh, six books from Abingdon. Okay. Five of them were books of preaching. Abingdon okay. turned sermon series into Bible studies. And they had titles like The Storm Before the Calm. Okay. Or Crash Test Dummies, which was a, a series on the book of Judges. Okay. Where people mm -hmm. keep getting in a car and driving into a wall and get out and do it all over again. And so... The five books came out that way. And then at the end of that season, they released a book on preaching, which was the one book that I wrote setting out to write a book. Gotcha. And, okay. And that really that simplify the message, multiply the impact, the idea that in our world, clarity always triumphs over clutter. Yes. Uh, uh, it's a, a little bit of a riff on Andy Stanley's communicating for a change, but going yeah. deeper into the types of one point sermons. Yes, yeah, and uh, and and how to preach without notes and and uh, how to do oh, a funeral. Great. There's a whole chapter on on funeral preaching. Yeah. So, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. that I, for, forgive me, like I, I'm so glad to hear this book exists. Um, forgiven, I, forgiveness is extended. I kind of think you should use the book as a text at oh, West Biblical like Seminary. Idea. Well, I just might. I just might. You know, I. I use a couple of books, um, and I've used uh, Tom Long's uh, a book, and, and, and even though there's theologically some things that I tell my students to watch out for, and, you know, Tom Long, if you're listening, sorry, but I'm glad to talk with you about that. Um, same thing is true, but I also use, uh, my preaching mentor was Ellsworth Callis, and um, yes. his preaching from the soul, and he taught me a method for preaching without notes yes. and try to get that through as well. I think this, some of these, these pieces and also kind of this, the single point uh, kind of, he centers everything in a title. I think there's something too. And I love the kind of focus on clarity that you're saying as well. 
Yeah, it, it, early on in the book, I talk about the the difference between uh, Nike's logo and the logo of a general generic United Methodist Church, where you know, <laughs> you know tell they, me what's the difference? You you yeah, and you can and you can tell that even taking the cross and flame out, you can tell a lot of local churches do logos trying to make everybody happy, right? And so the logo is cluttered. You make everybody happy. You just don't communicate with anybody. Nike's logo is not cluttered. Right. It's, it's timeless. It's the difference between Yahoo's homepage and Google's homepage. Sure. Yeah, Yahoo's is dirty and cluttered and and Google's is one thing, search. So I apply yeah. that, that concept to preaching. Don't don't preach, don't tell me three things. Tell me one thing. And tell me okay. again and again and again one thing. Yes, I love it. Okay. So We'll have to have you on. Some, I have to read your book, and then we'll talk. Maybe I'll have you on again and talk about it. Buy in uh, bulk. But let me ask you a question bulk. about the book. What's that? Buy in bulk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the same thing you can do preaching. for for a contender. Uh, yeah. Going deeper in the Book of Jude, just out with Telios Press and Francis Asbury Society Press. From yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so let me throw this in there. Uh, all right, you're on an elevator. And you find out you're on there with a bunch of preachers and you, you have to say to the preachers, you get one message, you get 30 seconds, you get to say to them uh, about how they can uh, more effectively preach. Um, what do you say in those 30 seconds? I would say don't walk people through a sermon outline. Take them on a sermon adventure. Amen. You walk them through an outline, it puts them to sleep. You take them through an adventure. They don't know how you're going to get out of the mess that you're in, or they're going to get out of the mess that they're in as listeners. And then you deliver the empowering bottom line. And it's like, huh, that was yeah. worth the 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 anxiety, the stress, the release of the adventure. Oh, I love it. That's good. Yeah. And that means you have to build the tension too, doesn't it? Absolutely. You have to create the tension. Yes. And and yeah. and I think the tension could be one of two things. It's either tension that you put yourself in as a preacher. Like, well, Judges 16, 1, and, and Samson saw a prostitute and spent the night with her. Well, that's not my illustrated children's Christian children's Bible about Samson. How's the preacher yeah. going to get out of this? Or the the dilemma you put the listener in the the life things you know are going on in their circles of influence yes that's really helpful um and, and i think that's also true uh not just for preachers and I, I think you would say this too i want to encourage you know some people might say oh andy's talking to talbot they're both preachers they're having a great time um look this is the exact same thing when you're in a sunday school class when you're in another environment, even in a small group discussion, if you just come in and fire away at your outline, or you come in and you like tell tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them again what you told them, then pray and tell God what you told them, you're going to miss uh, the opportunity to take them on the journey that you yourself have already been on. Yes, you, a much better way, and this is actually in the book, You uh, tell them you're going to tell them something. And that if they don't get the thing that you're going to tell them, they're going to die. <laughs> and then tell them that thing. Maybe the stakes aren't quite that high, but that's the concept. Tell, tell some, I'm going to tell you something in, in seven or eight minutes. And if you get this thing that I'm going to tell you, your relationships will be healthy. You'll, you'll have 
assurance of what happens after you die, what whatever the promise is. But you do have to build that tension because nobody goes to a movie to have the the the, the end of the movie revealed in the first ten minutes. Tell me about nobody. It. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you're speaking my language here, Talbot. I love it. And I think like I could see that kind of approach in those, in these, um, sorry, the Come Alive series as well. Yeah. Like I can see that that's what you're trying to do each day in those lessons. And, but, and I look at like kind of like the deductive approach. It's a moving from an itch to a scratch. Like you have to develop a reason why people want to listen to this. Yes. And and and, and when it comes to the Come Alive book, uh, different than a sermon, I really hope to uh, uh, grow in the audience uh, sort of a wonder and an appreciation for the skill of the biblical authors. Yes. And when you understand what a genius John is when he writes or what a, how brilliant Paul is when he's pacing around dictating a letter or, or even how courageous a man like Tychicus. Well, who is Tychicus? He's the delivery guy for Colossians. And when you realize how vital his role is in the whole process, man, the all of scripture just opens up. And, and again, people, we want people to love the scripture so they can adore the Savior. Amen. I love it. Well, Talbot, one of the other things about your ministry is that you've been obviously engaged for your whole time serving in, in a church as a pastor in the United Methodist Church. And we're regularly working with people you know, here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. And, and in this tradition, a lot of people are still kind of wondering, uh, those on the outside, and I'm a person who's been outside the Methodist Church for a long time, um, what's going on? Like, what's ha what's happening in the life of church now? I mean, you and I are talking here in late August, but there's big changes coming and, and that some churches have already felt. What From your seat, what's been happening with the United Methodist Church and all of the disaffiliations and the Global Methodist Church? Yeah, and I... And I uh having i didn't grow up christian much less methodist okay and then when i heard the call to ministry i i i sensed it was supposed to be within methodism and i always thought i'm supposed to help to bring life to this denomination that even 40 years ago was was struggling and and so i was sure that i was going to be part of a a a movement of people who were really going to restore methodism to theological its theological roots Yes, and I don't think that's happened in a large scale, and I've just have to have have had to be very content that it has happened at Good Shepherd, and not that it was ever wayward, but we have we have an identity, mm -hmm. and uh, whether it's in preaching or in leading a church, clarity is kindness. Yeah, so from the beginning on, on the presenting issue within the United Methodist Church, we have been lovingly clear i hope lovingly clear i know we've been clear that we believe marriage is for one man and one woman and we believe that uh homosexual intercourse is not god's design we're not mad about it in fact right we love marriage we we have a, a thing at our church that there's enough pretty weddings out there we're about beautiful marriages and so we have a Hello. whole beautiful marriage movement yes i love that really caught on and so it's not so much that we're against one thing, though, though we're, where God says no, we're, we, we agree with God. Amen. But we're really for, the reason we're against it is because we're so for beautiful marriages. And so in, in, in our case, there's a lot of cohesion, a lot of clarity. And as we move towards our own ultimate departure from the denomination, 
you know, I've got a lot of heaviness in my heart and people I've worked with and known for years and years. Uh, and yet through it all, there's a gospel I love, a, a scripture I love, and and a and a and a teaching that I'm proud to be aligned with. One one of the things that I say a lot when it comes to marriage, I am not smarter than Paul, and I'm yeah. not more enlightened than Moses. And neither one of them gave us any wiggle room when it comes to marriage. Yes. And and even when Jesus could have redefined it, right? He reinforced it. Yes. And so those are those. I don't want to go against those three of Matthew right. or Paul or Jesus. So I'm we're, we're we're quite content being being in a good mood about it, but quite content with where we're headed. Earlier, you brought up the methodical Bible study. Yeah. Sometimes we use the language inductive Bible study. That's what we call it here. I know there was a period where it's called English Bible, but it's this school that comes from the teaching of Dr. Robert Trena. It's been handed down. What David. a legend. Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, Dr. David Bauer, Joe Dongel, David David Thompson. Thompson. In our, yeah. In our context, Gary Cockrell. Yeah. And, um, and then also Rick Boyd, who teaches on our faculty, and now a, a younger scholar, Murray Vassar. So like this is this is a part of that tradition. And, and I learned that tradition, too. And, and we we think of this as the prime way that we the our hermeneutical perspective from Wesley Biblical Seminary. And one of the pieces in there is it moves through various steps from observation of the text, interpretation. You know what I'm going. But yeah. uh, evaluation is is one of the steps. And in that step, you look at the evaluation of others, but you you also evaluate scripture in light of the canonical dialogue he, yes. uh, david thompson's particular slant on that and maybe you know that too if we both know david thompson so then it, what he said i remember one day on as it relates to human sexuality he said there is no dialogue on this matter there is a monologue yes <laughs> yes that stuck with me and i think that's a, a helpful piece and what that's what you've just highlighted and and that's why it's such a uh facile f-a-c-i-l-e weak argument to to parallel it to like uh, uh ordination of women because yeah. within scripture there's conversation yes on the role of women in ministry so conversation within means conversation beyond but on human sexuality there's consensus within yeah and i think that leads to obedience beyond Yes, absolutely. And, and, and you're right. I, I think you uh, presented this really well, thinking about these themes, like even saying the word, the concept of a presenting issue. And I love the kind of three word, kind of, almost like probably come, coming from your context of how you prepare and think about sermons. Clarity is kindness. Yes. Talk to me more about that. I, I think there's a lot to that. Well, I would much, it, it's a hard earned lesson. Okay. Uh, especially in leading like a church staff where I, I early on as a much younger pastor with much less experience leading people. Uh, I mean, I always, I always had some confidence that I could do the Sunday thing. Okay. It was just like the Monday through Saturday. I thought I might struggle more. And I think I did because I didn't set expectations. Okay. Uh, and, and, and through some trial and, and quite a bit of error, I realized when if you hire people, you need to set the expectations up front with clarity, and that clarity is kindness. That way, they mm. can know whether this is a job they want. They can know early on what how they're whether they're living up to your expectations or not. 
and sort of my personality, especially in those early years, was to to bury my uh, frustrations, and soon that simmers out and bubbles over and and turns into confrontation. And I realized it was all on me. They did. I had internalized my expectations instead of clarifying them. That's so, amazing to be able to say that. I, I do think it's a, to to have that realization that this is your <laughs> forgive me your fault. Like this, your your lack of expectations, your lack of clarity led them to be in conflict with you. Yeah, it's a me problem. <laughs> and 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 now we we document things. Here's what's expected. Here's what it's like. Here's what you can and can't do. And it's and a, another thing that I've learned. I don't hire for talent anymore. I hire for team. Hello. And, okay. Uh, what does that mean? Well, um, instead of being. Uh, seduced by uh, not in the sexual sense but attracted <laughs> to glittery shiny talented people and trying to assemble a team of really talented folks yeah. nope that just the, you, you just get a lot of different egos going their own way but we we have people on our staff who just bleed what good shepherd is about and because they bleed that their own talent has emerged Wow. But it has emerged in the context of they already have credibility as great teammates. Interesting. Oh, man, I, I think that's really helpful. Now, you, you said that line, which I think is really good is staff development expectations. But you said that line in the context of the challenges of the Methodist Church and the presenting issues that you have. How yeah. does it apply there? Sure, sure. You uh, uh, at our church, for example, if you want to join, there's a membership covenant. And in the membership covenant, we actually contain the language. We're not interested in anyone's past, but the membership covenant does contain that from that moment that you're on the platform declaring Jesus as Lord and Savior, that has an implication for your sexuality. And we spell it out, singleness, celibacy and singleness, faithfulness in marriage between a man and a woman. Yeah. And uh, so that's the kind of clarity. We Again, we don't, that's not the first thing we say. Right. But it's not the last. Yeah. And we don't say it infrequently because, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 and yes. 1 Corinthians 15 are in the same book. Hello. And, and so so if sexuality in your body is important in chapter 6, the resurrection body you're going to get in chapter 15 is tightly connected. And so the, the, the thought, oh, it's a social issue. Right. No. No, it it's it's a deeply it's a theological issue. It's a salvation issue. It's at the heart of everything, and and so we're going to say that with Paul, because yeah. remember, Andy, I'm not smarter than Paul, and I'm not more enlightened than Moses. Right, and yeah, and neither represent divine. Uh, you know, the, uh, those represent divine revelation. This is how God has revealed Himself, and as people who identify ourselves and put ourselves under the authority of Scripture, then then suggesting. That God has, without air, co communicated who he is, what his purposes are for the world. We're going to submit ourselves to that. And, and that reminds me, a few about two months ago, I had Robert Gagnon on the podcast talking about whether or not we should, uh, somebody should attend a gay wedding. And it's interesting. He pulls it all back. You brought 1 Corinthians 6, which I appreciate. He went back to 1 Corinthians 5, thinking of the problem of the incestuous man, a man yeah. who is living in incest. And he sees that as the best analogous moment, maybe within scripture, to think of what to do with somebody living in sexual sin and how you're to handle that situation. 
And then as a result of that, we get to 1 Corinthians 6. And then, of course, pushing that all the way forward to the resurrection of the body as well. So I think there's something really helpful for us to think about love being something that leads people to the best that God has for them. And yeah. clarity as kindness can be a part of that story. Like if we're really going to love people, we want to be clear with what God has laid out in scripture for their lives. Yes. In the same way that clarity is kindness, uh, loving is never lying. There's a lot of lying to people in the name wow. of love. Wow. How else do you see that? Like, uh, I mean, I'm sure that that's an idea you've developed be even beyond the sexual ethics piece. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, and I and I did talk about this this past Sunday at Good Shepherd Church that uh, the the whole and you the, the whole trans ideology. Sure. No. Yeah. And the mutilation of adolescents. And you, the the marvelous thing is that you don't have to be a Christian to understand how sad all that is. And the leading voices on social media on that issue happen to be Jewish and atheists. And yeah, and sure. I'm glad to come alongside them in this case. But there's there's so much. Oh, oh, you're you're depressed, adolescent teenager. So the solution to your depression is the erasure of your gender. Yeah, yeah. Well, that does not pass the say it out loud test. Yeah. And and yet people have bought it. And it's it's time for us to say lovingly yet emphatically, people are lying to you. Don't believe the lie. You were your gender was created. It's woven into every cell of your DNA. Yes. And it's not just good. It's very good. Amen. And, yeah. and wh why would we shy away from telling that truth? So that kind of clarity is kindness and, and lying is never loving. My family, we're um, we have like a, a family prayer time each night, and we do a a time where we will read books out loud. My my kids are a little older now; they're sixteen, fourteen, and twelve, so they can take a little bit more in depth sort of reading. So we've been reading Francis Schaeffer's uh, "How Then Shall We Live?" Yeah, now, it's interesting. Uh, and that's a pretty intense book philosophically, and I've kind of wondered: Are we really are doing the right thing? But it's interesting, <laughs> like when he's confronting the issues from the nineteen you know sixties and seventies, yeah. dealing with truth. And rather not like as he would say, there's a true truth. Um, it's amazing how the transgender situation has, you know, a predicament. I don't know, situations the right word. You how it makes it so clear to them, like it, it, it's so clear that this concept of rather not we can make up our own truth. We have this perfect example that there we're all having to live through at this time where we have likely you do too. Like I have friends who have transitioned and I'm like working through that, praying for them at the same time. So this is an interesting moment because the the idea of loving and not lying mean loving means we're going to deal with truth where it is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a, I actually think it, it gives us a really clear way to talk about truth. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your body's not lying to you. Your pe people are lying to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is really a helpful conversation. I hope people will listen in to the clear way, the, the way of clarity you're talking about this now with the Methodist church and okay. the United Methodist church. And where do you think things are going? Like where, where, what's your hope for 10 years from now from these, with these groups that have disaffiliated with these churches that have disaffiliated? Wow, that's a big question. I know. How I'm about that? In, you I'm seem to be able to take like, them pretty well. I'm just like into writing daily emails for for people and, and preaching sermons. Uh, my, my What do you hope for Good Shepherd? How about that? Okay, for Good Shepherd. In 10 years from now, Good Shepherd, if if indeed it, it works, you guys end up disaffiliating. 
Yeah, I I believe we will be uh, um, Methodist in the most generalized of senses, not in a very specific sense. Okay. We will we will always believe in free will. Uh, we we will likely always be amillennialists. Hello. We, we we won't be dispensationalists. Gotcha. Uh, beyond that, we, we'll, we will always lift up the scriptures inspired and eternal and true. We'll always baptize believers and not babies. Okay. So, uh, so we, that's so in, in so that's how you all have operated. Yeah, we'll 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 always um, uh, believe in the priesthood of believers when it comes to communion. Yes. Uh, uh, we're we're kind of kind of resistant to the idea. Well, or what, at what level are you ordained, and and can you preside over communion in, in in that setting, but not that setting? And it, that just seems so alien to what Jesus was all about when he was at the table. Yeah, he, he was about tearing walls down, not erecting barriers of credentialing. And yeah. and maybe maybe we're wrong on that, but that's the that's the 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 ethos that we have around here. And That's I, and I believe yeah. that in, in 10 years or so, 12 years or so, well, you know, I'll, I will have a successor, but my, my prayers is that that successor will love the scripture so that people will adore the savior. We'll, we'll be a Bible lifting church. The one moment of liturgy we have every Sunday is we lift up our Bibles together and we call it a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, Hello. moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. As a community, yeah. And that's that's what you say when you lift the Bible up. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I'll hey because uh, I'll I'll talk about the, talk real. I don't read the scripture before the sermon. Okay. I say find this place in your Bible. If your Bible's not here, it's going to be up on the screen. But everybody has the Bible on their phone, so find this place. We're going to be going there. But until we get there. Just want you to know, we believe it's not a book, it's a library, but it's the only library like it on planet Earth. We believe God breathed his life into its words, his truth onto its pages. It's inspired, eternal, and true. You may not believe that yet, but we just want you to know what kind of church we are, because clarity is kindness. And then we'll, we'll say, out of that conviction is this custom that's going to seem strange if you've never seen it before, but we lift our Bibles up in the air. Uh, and th then I say, because this we've, we've discovered that it's a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. Does the congregation say that line with you? You say no, it. No, I okay. say it. Uh, it's, yeah. I love how baked into all of that is uh, keeping new people aware of what's happening. Like yes. Like helping them understand the oddity. Yes, yeah, and and naming. Hey, you you're gonna think this is weird. I I you try not to say weird, but I oh yeah. Uh, you're gonna think this is unusual, but so many people told me have told me through the years when y'all did that, I decided that was my church. Wow, I you want to talk about odd denomination in a, my the tradition I came up in. I now I'm I've transferred my ministry credentials to the Global Methodist Church. Oh, good for you. I, okay. Yeah, for 15 years. Um, I was with the Salvation Army and still consider myself in most ways a Salvationist. Like that's I, the same theology that I had as a Salvationist accompanies to the, um, you know, the Global Methodist Church. And I still serve uh, in variety of functions with the Salvation Army. But it, the, the odd side, you know, the Salvation Army, we 
wear uniforms and yeah. people who are committed becoming a members. And sometimes there'll be a congregation where there could be uh, 25%, maybe even 50% of the people in uniform. And that's a deeply symbolic uh, act to put a uniform on. You're part of this community for a greater purpose. It could be a wonderful, it'd be a wonderful thing for some people who um, particularly who haven't dressed up in their life and they have this uniform, this identity, but it's incredibly awkward for new people to come in and see somebody in uniform. And I always tried to do something like what you did. This may seem funny that there's some people here in uniform. Well, this is what that is. This is ah, a symbol okay. of their, but, but still, it's so good to kind of keep that in mind. I love that you do that even with reading scripture. Yeah, yeah. So that's helpful. Okay, so that that's good. Interesting to think of like what might happen. Now, I have to admit, when I, I never imagined that you would talk about millennial eschatology as your second point. So I just want to give you some. Yeah, that is unusual, Andy. Uh, but uh, at Good Shepherd, as part of our being sort of broadly Methodist, we also have a, a strong charismatic strain. Okay. So when I think in terms of dispensationalism, it's not just how they are predictionists right. on Jesus' return. They are cessationists yes. about wow. the gifts of the Spirit. And we're neither one of those. We're, we're right. not cessationists. We have healing services. We have many people who pray in tongues at our church. We're not a charismatic church, but we're a church with a lot of charismatic people. Yeah. And and then when it comes to esca the, the end times piece of that, we're 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 not predictionists. So we're not cessationists, and we're not predictionists. So that's why I hope and pray that my successor will embody those kind of. Yeah. It's so so by saying ah millennial, it's like it's almost saying we're middle of the road here. Like we're not we're not trying to we're not we're not trying to be I don't mean that as a negative way, but it, it but you're you're not trying to claim any particular view, particularly a predictionist sort of view. No, but if I had to claim a view for myself, I would say I'm a pretty strong oh, sure. millennialist, but you I, you could be a historic premillennialist and and it would work okay. out here. Good. I'd like to think I'd have a place there. No, I'm just okay, joking. Okay. No, I'm just joking. I, 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 I don't I, think I don't think you could be a, a post millennialist and work out here because that's just <laughs> that's Looney Tunes. Yeah, well, that's a. I guess this is another podcast. But I, I think it's interesting though that that's. In, I think that's helpful too. I think people are looking. <laughs> here's the word again: clarity. They're yeah. looking for clarity from a, a church, as particularly if they're coming from a Christian environment already. Yeah. So, I think that's helpful and interesting. And oh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure ahead. I developed a lot of these stronger convictions on that when Left Behind was quite popular. Right. And, and in, you know, in the Southeast and you know, all over Texas as well, where you're from, like these are yeah. things. Some people equate dispensational and premillennialism and rapture theology with evangelicalism. Yes. And, and I think in general, like you, everything you've described is an evangelical Wesleyan denomination, but some people would take your uh, evangelical uh, cred, street cred, if you don't, uh, if you don't believe in a rapture. Which, right, right, yeah. right. This is really helpful. Man, I had no idea what I was getting into at this conversation, and I've so enjoyed it, Talbot. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I thank always, you, Andy. I always ask a question. My podcast is called More to the Story, and meaning that there's, you know, I, 
I think of that in a theological context, that there is uh, more to the story than just having our sins forgiven. There's God's sanctifying grace by the power of the spirit that's available to us. But on top of that, I like to think there's more to the story of individuals I interview. So I wonder, is there more to the story of Talbot than uh, is normally told maybe on a podcast interview or something you don't get to talk about very much? Well, there, there's something I talk about a lot, but maybe not on podcast. And and I did uh, grow up playing tennis. Oh, okay. And I was the uh, two-time Texas State champion. Wow. And uh, a little bit of pro tennis afterwards. And I don't play anymore, but I love it and follow it. And, okay. and uh, the tennis channel is my favorite channel. Who's your favorite tennis player of all time? Of all time, Federer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, who would you have, uh, Borg or McEnroe? Mm, at the time, Borg, and in in retrospect, McEnroe. Oh, interesting. Why is that? Because I'm I'm a, I was an attacking, offensive player, and that's what McEnroe was, and that's what Federer was, and and so I just uh, that's when tennis becomes not just a war of attrition, but a work of art. Okay, and that's that's the kind of tennis I like to watch. I don't think it's the kind of tennis I played but it's what I like to watch. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, being the state champion in Texas, that's saying something. I mean, it kind of was a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> to beat all the, I mean, all those areas, there's so, such big schools. Well, that's so interesting. Well, Talbot, it's such a blessing to get to know you. I'm so thankful that I can hopefully introduce you to some of the people in the Wesley Biblical Seminary world. And I would love that. We'll be interested in your preaching book. And I yes. uh, look forward to that. In addition to these other books, which we'll link to in the show notes. Thanks so much, Talbot, for coming Thank on. Thank you. Thank you. See you, Andy.